Welcome to the Time Machine. Experience the cancer journey through the eyes of the traveler. Today in the Time Machine, I am joined by an amazing young couple, Luke and Carly Anderson. Luke and Carly were married September 1st, 2018. On June 1st, 2020, they were given a life-shattering diagnosis of ALL leukemia. Their story is filled with love, peace, and hope. This is their story. Luke Anderson, Carly Anderson, welcome to The Time Machine. What a pleasure to have you here. And um, this is the second time that we've actually yeah. had a chance to sit down. <laughs> um, we we met just recently. I heard about you through. I found you on Facebook first, and then mm-hmm. then um, Garth yeah. mentioned you, and so I was like, I have to call you, and and I did, and now we're here. So um, would love to hear your story. We yeah. Start with diagnosis. It's really fresh and new for you guys. So yeah, with that, maybe start us off with diagnosis and how things got started for you. Well, I guess what was it? Late April. Yeah, about late late April. Late April, I uh, I was out doing heavy yard work, uh, which reminded me of your story. Um, doing the lawn, killing mm-hmm. all the weeds. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty obsessed with my yard too, so. I was doing like rototilling, aeration, uh, spreading fertilizer, all that stuff. And a few days later, I started having this really bad shoulder pain. And I thought it's just from over- overworking. Uh, so I went to the doctor for it. They gave me some anti-inflammatory. And then I was good for a few days. And then all of a sudden, started having bad rib pain. So I thought maybe that's the same thing. Um but then with the rib pain, a couple days into it, I started having really bad fever and night sweats and chills. And I thought I was just coming down with like a really bad cold or something or flu. And so I actually went to the walk-in again and they just kind of told me to come back if it got worse and whatnot. And, um, it got bad enough though that we decided we actually got a call back from the walk-in and the, the guy who had seen me, he said, you know, you might just want to go to the ER and have it checked out if you're not getting better. And cause I was having extreme pain by this point, um, in my ribs. And so I went to the walk-in or I went to the ER and they took some blood tests and, um, we later found out that the blood tests weren't normal, but the ER doc said, they look normal. He gave me fluids and, um, he sent me home with some, uh, steroids and the steroids I felt great on, uh, for the four or five days I was on them. And then as soon as the steroids wore off, uh, it was back to having really bad, like back pain, rib pain, like just excruciating where I couldn't move. Uh, she was taking, she was having to take care of me. Um, and we just like, kind of like we were like what the heck is this um there was one night he woke up in the middle of the night it was about 4 a.m and he was 
screaming out um, with excruciating pain in his spine that felt like there was like hot oil in his spine. And so, yeah, it felt, it felt like someone was like, like clip, clipping my nerve, like cutting my nerve. Um, so we went straight to the ER for that as well. And that was our second trip to the ER. I think that in the month of May, we ended up going to the ER about five times. Yeah. it was like four or five times. Um, and just, we just kept on coming to dead ends and, um, people kept passing us off and we were getting absolutely nowhere and he was getting sicker and sicker. Um, and so finally one morning, I think it was a Saturday in the very end of May, I was on the phone with my mom and we were kind of talking about what the possibilities were of what this was. And I don't really know what it was because um, he was actually feeling okay that Saturday morning. Yeah, I happened he to be. slept fine. He was, he got up and he was, he was pretty perky and chatting with me. And there's something in me, just this gut instinct that I well, thought. Well, in that week we had gotten blood tests done. Yes. And everything was abnormal. Liver function, um, my white blood cell, like lymphocytes, you know, my lymphocytes, um, platelets, everything was kind of out of whack. So we had been kind of, that had been kind of like sitting in our minds for like the whole week. And we had been Googling stuff and asking nurses and doctors that we knew, um, just like, what the heck could this be? Um, there was a lot of asking around just because, um, we didn't, by the time we got those abnormal lab results, it was the end of a business day before a holiday weekend. weekend. And so we were on our own. Um, and then by that Saturday, I just had this, um, feeling this prompting, which now I know it was definitely from the Lord that we needed to go get help. And so it was kind of one of those awkward trips to the ER because usually when you're on the way to the ER, you're like in, in pain a, yeah. or you're, you know, but you're I was, dying. But I was feeling we somewhat decent that day. We ate lunch. We went and dropped the dog off at my mom's house and away we drove to the ER. And um, once we got there, it was quite a fight. Um, we were told that they wouldn't be able to help him before they even assessed him or drew his numbers. They said this all needs to happen through his primary doctor, um, that they wouldn't be able to do very much for us. And, um, at that point, um, I was bursting into tears and so was Luke because we had met our wits end with, yeah, it was five, five weeks of constant pain, like every night, just not being able to sleep, just the worst pain, excruciating pain. And then having the lab results and just being like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> so I I just begged them to get a CT scan and to draw more numbers to get some blood cultures. I kind of thought maybe he had a super weird infection. And um, we sat for a couple of hours and the ER doctor came back in and he almost seemed like he was shocked himself. Like he could barely get the words out, but he said... The CT scan has an abnormality. A bone lesion. And it's a bone lesion. And I'm going to admit you to the hospital and figure out what's wrong. So. And so um, I had a bone lesion in my left pelvis. It kind of, on the imaging, it looked like something had to kind of eaten away at the bone. Um, and so 
at this point I was in a ton of pain and, um, I was, I was having like a somewhat decent day, but I was still in a lot of pain. And he said, you have this bone lesion. And then the nurse came in and she pumped me full of morphine and it like kind of knocked me out. And all of a sudden I'm in this blur, uh, where like all of a sudden I have doctors coming and talking to me and I have a a hospitalist coming and he's talking about lymphoma and, and, oh, you know, we're going to check for blood cancers and all this stuff. And I was just in this weird mental state because I had so much morphine in me (laughs) that I was like, I almost felt bad because everybody was trying to talk to me, inject all this information into me. And I couldn't, um, I couldn't even like really process it. And it wasn't until, and so they admitted me. Um, and then I was sent up to the fifth floor where she actually works. Um, and, uh, I think they did the bone marrow biopsy. Was it the next day? I think so. Or the day after. Yeah. But in the meantime, mentally we were like, oh, this has got to be an infection or some other weird thing that's, that can, we can clear up with antibiotics or something real quickly. Um, and so we were kind of almost in denial that it could even be cancer. Like, but that's what everybody else was talking about. <laughs> so, um, did you have a, a gut instinct on that yourself, Carly? You know, I almost, I feel like I did, but it was that denial aspect, um, where, and I kind of knew that because my coworkers were on that floor all wanting to know what the heck I'm doing there. Can you explain what, what you do for, for work then? So I'm a nurse, um, and I work on the fifth floor at St. B's. So it's the uh, medical ortho and trauma floor. And so, um, I take care of people who've been through, uh, different traumas and, and injuries, orthopedic injuries. And so Luke happened to be on that floor just because pretty much cause I worked up there and I mean, he had a bone lesion. Um, and so my coworkers are wondering what in the world was going on. And, um, I kind of found myself nonchalantly saying, oh, well, they're, they're telling me my husband probably has cancer. And I mean, when those words came out of my mouth, they didn't really mean much because I thought there's no way, no way it's cancer. He's, he's probably going to be growing something on his, on his blood cultures. You know, they're going to find some type of, of this weird bacteria that they're going to need to treat him with. And so, um, that's cancer never went through my mind. Yeah. And what's weird though, is the week leading up to this, when we were like, we had the blood tests, uh, with all the weird numbers, I was like Googling, okay, you know, X, Y, and Z, like, what could it be when you have these blood tests and leukemia actually popped up a few times. And it was something that I didn't even like, I just brushed it off as like, oh, I'm like, I don't have cancer. Like, (laughs) you know. Um, I was so convinced in my mind that it, it couldn't be that. So I didn't even worry about it. But then in the hospital, we had the bone lesion and we started hearing the word lymphoma or blood cancer or something. Um, it kind of started to set in, but then they did the bone marrow biopsy and they said it would be a few days. And it was literally like mm-hmm. not even a day later. And there was a knock at the hospital door and it was one of my coworkers and she had um, what we call the, the telemed health. And so it's just an iPad 
and we use that to have doctors outside the hospital communicate to our patients. And so uh, she said, it's Dr. Fiddler. He wants to talk to you guys. And I thought, oh, he must have forgot to tell us something. Dr. Fiddler was the oncologist who had recently come to see Luke. And I thought, oh, he forgot to tell us something. Or, um, And so we got on with Dr. Fiddler and he was um, well, very he told He told us he was an oncologist and then you know, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, Luke, we have your bone marrow biopsy back and you have leukemia. Yeah. Uh, acute uh, lymphoblastic leukemia, the kind that little kiddos get, and it's very aggressive. And you'll need to head to a different hospital here for treatment within the next couple of days. Yeah, he said, we're going to send you down to Denver is where he sends people. But he was also very optimistic on the call. He's like, we're going to get you treated, and then a couple of years from now, you're going to be hiking and fishing and doing all the things you love. And so... It was like a super, he was a very optimistic and bright and that's the kind of guy he is. And so I kind of was like thinking about it. I don't know if it really shocked me. I don't really remember my response, that whole hospital visit to a blur, but, um, I know that Carly went out and all her coworkers surrounded her and they all cried together. And I was kind of just sitting in my hospital bed, like thinking about like, oh, why do I have to go to Denver? Like, <laughs> you know? Um, so from the day they, <laughs> they admitted you till you did the biopsy till you got, got it back was, it was about the weekend. Yeah. So it was really fast. Saturday to Monday or? Yeah. I was like, uh, went in on a Saturday and I think it was Monday. I think Monday was, uh, the first mm-hmm. of June, um, yeah. was my diagnosis. Were you able to stay with him or did you go home? I was able to stay with them because um, at that time I was, I can't remember what the visitor restrictions were, but since I worked there and I work on the floor, I was able to be with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but after, after we got the diagnosis, I was feeling somewhat decent and I was thinking like, oh, we have like my, one of my good friends from Washington was going to drive out at the end of the week. And I was like, and Dr. Fiddler was saying, oh, you need to make it down like as soon as possible. And I'm like, Oh, I have got like a week. I can kind of pack up my things, take, take some time to process this and then head down. Um, and then I was asking him, Oh, can we, you know, maybe I can go to Minnesota cause I have family in Minnesota or, you know, I, I was just so naive about it all. Um, but then, and we even chose, they gave us the option. You can leave the hospital and go home if you want and start getting ready. And so they gave us the option to do that. And we went home on that Monday night, um, June 1st. And that night I started having extremely bad pain in my pelvis and hips. And so much so that I just, I couldn't even move a budge an inch in bed. And I was, I was in a really bad state and I developed an extremely high fever. Um, and so we got on the phone with her parents and they picked me up. June 2nd, Tuesday, and they took, we went. This was at like 11. We didn't even make it till the second, so we got home. And we kind of got settled, and we went to bed early. And, you know, a couple hours later, he was in uncontrollable pain again. He was shaking. 
he had a fever. Um, and so back to the ER we went and it was... Oh yeah, I guess we went to the ER again. We went back to the ER and it was absolutely terrible. They um, just gave me more morphine and... At this at this point, my, my mom and my dad had to help us get there and we almost had, we pretty much had to lift Luke into the car. Um, I was hysterical and crying and they were crying because at this point we knew it was cancer. And so to watch him... Um, suffer this much and know what it was. It was um, just, it was petrifying. And they treated him just to get his pain under control, which was very difficult. A ton of IV meds. And then they said, you just really need to get to Denver. So they discharged us. We went home. We went back to bed. And a few hours later, I rolled over and I heard him starting to wake up again. And he was going back into another, um, yeah. Extreme fit of pain. And this time he was shaking uncontrollably. It was almost like a seizure and there was no way to stop it. And, um, I just sat up and we both just prayed and cried out to the Lord. And I just waited for that clock to reach. I can't remember seven or eight o'clock to where I could call the oncologist. And finally I did. And I said, he's declined overnight. I'm not going to be able to get him to Denver. I'm not going to be able to drive him. He's too sick. And so they said, all right, we are setting him up with a med flight and you need to get him to the hospital as soon as we could. And so we got him to the ER and I don't think he remembers too much from there. He was... I remember being in pain the night before and then her parents coming in the morning again to get me. And her dad kind of like, her dad's a really big guy. He kind of pretty much just like carried me out to the, to the, their car. And then, um, we got there and then of course they took me into a room and they just, you know, they started putting needles in me and giving me painkillers. And then after that, it's a blur for like the next two or three days. Cause, uh, I, my, I think my fever got up to almost 104. Um, and then my pain was so bad. And so, but I don't remember really the, the drive to the airport, you know, in the ambulance, or I remember vaguely kind of them loading me onto the plane. Um, they kind of like slide you on this, like on your, in your stretcher, kind of like on like a, I don't know, they, they like slide you into the plane. And I remember vaguely the flight, like bits and pieces, just looking out the, you know, I was right next to a window looking out and hearing the, the engines. And, um, I don't remember getting to Denver or my ride to the hospital there. Um, but I remember when we got there, they did a biopsy again because they wanted to know what they were working with, uh, so very specifically. Um, but they couldn't give me any, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, they couldn't give me Versed or any um, sedatives. sedatives for it. So they just did some lidocaine and went in with the drill. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> uh, that sticks out in my memory. But um, so she obviously was able to kind of. It was kind of a miracle. Through actually. a miracle. I yeah, she ended up on the flight. I was even, even able to get on the plane with him. Um, I had gotten to the airport and, um, was waiting for him 
to be picked up and to go with. And the nurse came in and she said, I'm so sorry, but there's a no extra passenger rule right now. And so you won't be able to come with him. And so I thought, all right, that's fine. And so my parents and I started frantically looking for flights so I could meet him down there. Um, but in the meantime, my mom made a call down to Denver um, wanting to know their visitor policy. And that's when I found out that I wouldn't be able to be with him. They said, we're very sorry, but you know he'll have to be by himself. There's no absolutely no visitors allowed. And at that point, um, I pretty much... I was sobbing my eyes out in the ER. I, I'm pretty sure at one point I dropped to my knees because um, I was watching my husband being flown away. Um, a, I couldn't fly with him, and B, I wouldn't be able to see him. And um, that was probably one of the hardest moments of my life, just um, not knowing if I would see him again or if he would ever be the same again. Um, yeah. So... Um, during that time, uh, his mom just started praying, Lord, let there be a way. Um, and for some reason they came back in and said that the St. V's plane was broken at the time and that we'd be flying on Billings Clinic plane. And these Billing, Billings Clinics, um, the flight team came to pick him up and they said, they're like, who's going? <laughs> so who's, uh, where are yeah. your bags? Are you coming with us? And I said, <laughs> can I? And they said, yeah, how much do you weigh? We'll call. And they called and they said, come on, get in the ambulance. So I went with them and I was like so uplifted because I was like, God made a way and I'm going to fly with him. And I just remember in that flight, I just kind of, I sat my seat in that tiny plane and I just watched his vital signs the whole time and prayed and, um, we got to the hospital, and of course, I was going to try to nose my way in, into his room. If I could get on the plane, maybe I could be with him, yeah. but um, they kicked me out, and he went through chemo in Denver by himself for 25 days. So Yeah. And so, obviously, a lot of what she just described is missing from my memory bank, but the other than the biopsy, the the, the first thing I remember is... I have bits and pieces of, of course, during COVID, they have all this COVID protocol with COVID-19. And um, I just remember waking up in a hospital room in excruciating pain and fever. And there's like a guy in like a yellow hazmat suit with like a, you know, the visor and everything. And that to me was just like, the worst feeling just waking up and I don't even see a human face. I'm just in this dark hospital room. I'm connected to all this stuff. I'm in excruciating pain and I've got this nurse in a hazmat suit and he's like, he's asking me all these questions and I don't know how to answer. <laughs> like I'm just in pain and, and then I'm in and out. And then finally I was cleared of COVID so they could take off their COVID stuff. Um, and then I remember just like standing my first memory of actually finally coming to was I was standing next to my hospital bed and I had my arm around a nurse and she was just helping me. Like she was just like talking me through it. She's like, Hey, you're okay. Like, you know, I think she's helped me get to the bathroom or something, but, um, 
that was the first like friendly face I had. And then from there on out, um, obviously things started to settle in when, you know, I, they got the pain under control. They got everything under control. And then I have nurses in and out doctors start coming in or the next day or two explaining what I have and that I've got this mutation alongside the, the leukemia that, that makes it so it's a little bit harder to treat a little bit more aggressive. Um, they're, they're giving me all the odds, you know, the statistics, you know, which is a lot to hear when you're first diagnosed, you don't want to hear, Oh, that, you know, there's only a 20% chance that chemo is going to work for you. Um, otherwise you'll need a transplant. Um, so they're feeding me all that. And then all of a sudden, and then we're having to think about fertility questions. Cause all of a sudden we're thrown into that. With, when we got to the hospital, so, um, Luke was whisked off to a, another bone marrow biopsy and the doctor pulled me aside. And one of the first things he asked is, Hey, do you guys have kids? And I said, no, not yet. And, um, that was one of the first conversations he had with me is, um, just from the, the chemo alone, there's a, it's a 40% chance that he would go sterile. Um, and then later to find out with the medication that he needs to take for the rest of his life to keep his mutation from happening um, is a very um, toxic drug and it causes uh, severe birth defects. And so on top of the cancer diagnosis, we are also receiving um, all this news about infertility and our chances of ever having kids. And so it felt extremely overwhelming. Um, kind of like, you know, your whole world that was totally different yesterday has crumbled in on you today. And so I think we can both say that was probably the most overwhelming couple days of yeah. our entire lives. Yeah, definitely one of the hardest weeks of my life. So, um, but we were able to miraculously get one sample out of me um, before I was able to start chemo. And I was in such a bad state that I don't think any of the doctors even thought I'd be able to, but I was able to, and, and then they were able to start chemo. So, um, now to go back, you guys were married a little less than two years ago. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Our second year anniversary is coming up on September 1st. So we're, not even quite two years. Yep. Okay. And so when you took your vows, I think about this, <laughs> you know, that when the, for better, for worse, for better, for cancer. Yeah. You know, they, they take a different meaning. I know for me, I realized the, the importance of those words when you're actually in the deep waters. And so I imagine that's not exactly how you would drawn it up in your first two yeah. years to, to be now dealing with what you're dealing with. So how have you as a couple supported each other? How have you individually been able to deal with all the things that you're, you're getting thrown at you? Like where, where do you draw your strength from and, and how do you, you manage your day to day, the ups and the downs? Well, um, I can say that um, receiving a cancer diagnosis is terrifying, it's horrifying, it's scary. Um, but Luke and I have a lot of faith in our God that He is all-powerful, He's all-knowing. Um, 
that he's graceful and he's merciful. And so even through <clears throat> the darkest of days, he somehow he turns it around and he provides grace. Um, and so it's like out of even out of all these terrible things that have happened, he provides blessings. And so, yeah, we're going through this awful trial, but we might be the best in our marriage that we've ever been. Um, under all that pressure, we have become closer. Um, we've grown closer together, closer to, to the Lord. And that would never be possible if we um, didn't follow him. Yeah. When Carly certainly she stepped into the role of like all of a sudden she's dealing with her husband going through all this. And so obviously it was almost easy for me because I'm just stuck in a hospital, just like getting pumped full of drugs and just, you know, uh, that sounds, it's hard physically, but you know, the, I think for me, the diagnosis wasn't a huge I think I told you this before, but it, it wasn't devastating to me like mentally and spiritually. Um, cause I've gone through some health problems in the past and I kind of have accepted that, you know, we live in an imperfect world where there's sickness and disease and, and death. And so getting cancer was a huge surprise and a shock and very hard, but like, it was kind of one of those things where it was just like, all right, I'm just gonna have to buckle down and get through this. And, uh, that's certainly been hard, but um, Carly, she stepped into the role of like caregiver and like, you know, she was down in Denver taking care of things and, uh, really she took on just as much as I did, you know, and she, she really has handled that well. And that has been, I've been very thankful f to have her throughout this. I can't imagine, um, not having her especially down there, even though we weren't, we weren't able to see each other. She was, you know, I knew she was nearby and she was taking my laundry and cleaning it and sending me up food and note and, you know, little thoughtful letters. And what I looked forward to most so, <laughs> was doing his laundry. Yeah. Um, in fact, I didn't, one day the nurse called me a couple of days after he'd gotten there and he's, she said, Hey, He's starting to have more dirty laundry. We have like a great washing facility here. I can wash them. Or if you want, you can do it. And I said, let me do it. I, <laughs> you know, it was like anything to be a part of Luke's world was like everything that I held on to. So, yeah, even though I never got to see him um, during that time, I went to the hospital at least once or twice a day. I picked up his laundry. I always had a letter. Um, even at one point, we found out where I could see him from the street, and he could see me from the my eighth floor, eighth floor window. <laughs> so she did some cartwheels down on the street <laughs> for me. <laughs> him and his nurse watched me do some cartwheels down the yeah. road. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, how did you communicate? Was it just through written form, or were you able to talk I had, on phone and FaceTime, or do those things as well? Yep. I ended up getting my laptop and my phone and, and all that. And once I got that all figured out, we did some FaceTime. And um, obviously, when you get a cancer diagnosis, then you have all your friends and family all FaceTiming you too and calling you. So um, even though there was, I was isolated and I felt very isolated, there was, I looked forward to the, 
the the calls and the you know the uh facetimes and stuff but it was hard physically you know physically you're you're in there you're receiving chemo and you're going through the nausea and all the side effects of that and also dealing with all the questions of when am I going to get out of here and is chemo going to be successful? And, you know, uh, at that point I just had to say, all right, God, you're in charge, <laughs> you know, you're in control of this. And I just trust that whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And I, I don't think I got on my phone a single time and Googled yeah. my condition Googled. I didn't ever, <clears throat> I just thought, you know, it is what it is and I can't change it. And I have faith that whether I get a transplant or whether it's chemo, that there's going to be a way. And, um, and if it doesn't end up working out, then I know where my faith is. And, you know, so I had comfort in that. And I had my days where I wept and, you know, felt sorry for myself, maybe not felt sorry for myself, but just like, you know, the, the weight of all the physical pain, you know, kind of gets to you, wears you down. You're, you're, you're only human, you know? Um, but I, I feel like I maintained a lot of that joy throughout my stay and I didn't feel like I was shaken by it too much. I mean, um, so it's interesting. You mentioned it. It feels easier. I only know one part of the deal and that's the part of being the patient. Yeah. And I always feel that way. I feel like it's much easier than for me than for my wife. Yeah. And I just show up and they do stuff to me. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, but there's so much that, you know, my wife has had to pick up and do. And so I'm really interested in, in, um, maybe diving into that 25 days where you're, you've left home, you know, your husband is, is doing treatment. You're not able to see him. You're not at home. I'm sure there's always the things with finances when you're leaving and mm -hmm. new things and, and all of, all of that that starts to pile up. Mm -hmm. And then one thing that I didn't realize would be such a thing was all the phone calls and the burden. How, how it's a joy when people are interested and they want to know what's going on, but then it also can become a burden to be telling the story over and over or, or explaining it. And, yeah. and um, so how uh, in that 25 days, how much of that did you take on? You know, how did you manage it? Well, the first thing I can say is it's, um, it's amazing that so many people reach out. Like I posted on Facebook and I think it was like, couple thousand people yeah we had a, like a couple thousand comments you know uh -huh. just from everybody who said either they're praying or even sharing their own like hey uh, my husband has cancer or i have leukemia or i know this person who has all so it was kind of during that time that all these people kept sharing and sharing and sharing our post and so more people were reaching out to me and sharing these stories and saying hey i know this person you can reach out to um, which actually I still need to go through all those messages. There's almost hundreds of them that, um, now that things are at least a little more settled down, I would like to go through those and get my thoughts straight to reach out to these people, these incredible stories and testimonies. Um, but it is, it's 
almost a good distraction to have while something like this is going on. Uh, it is overwhelming. Um, I can also say that when something catastrophic happens like this overnight, you automatically become like a small business owner or something. There's so yeah. much phone calls and paperwork and um, things settle, you know, having to settle my job and the FMLA process and the house and um, X, Y, and Z comes up. And so, uh, especially the first two or three weeks, I spent almost all day every day on the phone or the email. And that part is very hard because um, all I really want to do is be with my husband and it just wasn't possible. And so um, I had a dear friend, Alyssa, who is a good friend from college and a roommate, and I stayed with her the first couple nights, and then I kind of Airbnb hopped. I had mm. wonderful friends come out and see me, our good friends. Joe and Jess, um, all the way out from Boston, came and stayed with us. Um, my dear friends, Kenzie and Sammy, drove down from Billings and stayed, and that's really what got me through. My parents came. Mm -hmm. That's really what got me through is... Um, I'd have people stay and, um, I'd be, you know, alone for a couple days at a time. And that was like the next thing I was looking forward to is when so-and-so is coming because I think a couple days was okay by myself, but, um, the more you get in your head, the more you're alone and get in your head, the, the harder things got. So I was very blessed to have people come down and, and visit me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that. We talked about it the, the first time I, I get to sit down with you guys. They don't give you a handbook on what to do when you know you get a diagnosis. Yeah. <laughs> that's the part that that um, I know for yeah. my wife, you know, we so much appreciated all of the outpouring of people asking questions. And um, she right away did a, a what is it? Um, I forget the name of it now. It's a, a blog, basically, and um, to kind of give all the information and updates which allowed people to know so you didn't have to repeat the conversation you know, 30, yeah. 40, 50 times a day. And then if someone had a question after they read it, then, you know, you could go more. And it was, it was a nice tool for her to kind of get it out and, ex you know, explain what was going on. Um, and that was very helpful. I, I know I channeled people that wanted to help through my brother's offer. They said, if anyone's calling and, you know, they, because a lot of people would call and offer things that, you know, yeah. every goodness of the heart, but it didn't, it didn't really necessarily apply to our situation. Sure. You know, maybe advice on someone they knew that, you know, so, um, so my brothers, you know, kind of stepped in and said, well, just filter them through us. And if there's something that, you know, that, that we, we should pass on to you, we will. And it really helped kind of streamline it for us. And, and that's why I asked because I know my wife was constantly on the phone, constantly yeah. dealing with all of the other things. And, and that's, when I hear you say that, you know, I I often forget how much of a burden my wife carries. Yeah, because she does it so effortlessly. Yeah, and and um, there's just a lot of that stuff that she deals with that that I don't because I focus on staying healthy and mm -hmm. and so um yeah. But um, that's a, that seems like the easier part of the deal than yeah. I think that's the weird part about get you being the one with the cancer you have your own goal you you see the end like all right well i just have this next milestone chemo yeah. and then yeah. i have that and then you know at the end of it i'm getting better or i have so 
it seems like everything's planned out for you. You have a purpose, you have the goals, but then there's from her perspective, it's like all these unknowns and all these yeah. things being thrown at you. So all the focus is on you yeah. and it comes to you and then they take all the stuff and then they go here, you take care of that. Yeah. You, and they, it yeah. gets passed on and they kind of cater more to your needs and then pass on all yeah. the extra stuff to, to the wives in our situation. And yeah. 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 So, I mean, she, like, like you said about your wife, she just kind of took it in stride and, and, she, I think for that whole 25 yeah. days we were down there, I was in some type of adrenaline mode. I swear yeah. I walked around with my, my fist clenched all the time. Um, just like fight mode all the time. And I just kept thinking nothing else matters except for getting Luke healthy. Nothing else matters yeah. right now. And so even though all this, you know, it was very overwhelming having to um, do all these problem shooting and just making sure everything was okay at home and um which we had so much help for which was great but Mm -hmm. i think what just got me through was i just was praying 24 7 and that nothing else matters right now yeah so yeah there's um it's definitely an interesting process especially the first couple months and yours extremely so because you you had the displacement and separation i mean that's that's so much to deal with. Yeah, you're in a you're in a foreign place essentially, you know. Yeah. Staying on in strangers' basements yeah. and, yeah. and a bunch of homework to do. Yeah. Um what what I found that's been interesting is even in the midst of it, you know, I've had these really incredible blessings and, and things that are surprises. You know, what are some of the uh things that have happened for you guys that kind of stick out that were a, a blessing or a kind of a gift in the middle of all of the storm? Well, I'd say it was like the little things. Um, I think the first thing was her getting on that flight, you know, kind of started with that, obviously. Um, that was such a God thing. That was like a little blessing, you know, that we look back on and we're grateful for. Um, for me, it was like little milestones in the hospital, like getting through my first, you know, bag of chemo or whatever it was. Um, I had a really bad reaction to the very first one they gave me, which required a bunch of nurses and stuff to come in my room and get that under control with all sorts of drugs. And I was shaking and all this stuff. Um, but even little things like my counts, um, one night I had my nurse come in and they, they monitor, you know, when you get a blood cancer or bone marrow cancer, they monitor your red blood cells, your neutrophils, you know, your white blood cells and your platelets and, the chemos wipe those out as you know. Um, but little things like my nurse, she kind of was, uh, she, she was really friendly. She was outgoing. She's, she's kind of like making a game out of, all right, how much do you want to bet that your red blood cell count is this? So let's take bets on, you know, what it is. Yeah. Uh, cause she would come and draw my labs and then, you know, a couple hours. And I think my red blood cells was like 9.3 years or something and she was saying oh it's gonna drop it's 100 percent gonna drop because you received this chemo and i had been praying to god like you know i don't care what she says like i i bet that it would go up <laughs> and um 
she was like, oh, no, it won't go up. She kind of tried to like be like, no, you got to bet down because it's going to go, go down. And so sure enough, the blood test results come back and it had gone up. Yes. And so it was just like little things like that where I felt like I had a victory in the hospital. And that it kind of like it was almost like God telling me too that, you know, I'm, I'm still here, you know. Um, and just like even things like uh, the, her friend set up a GoFundMe and. The first day I looked at it, we had raised a, f- a couple thousand dollars and I was like shocked by it. I was like, oh my gosh, like we've raised a few thousand dollars. Like this is so helpful. Like, And then I think a day later I looked at it and it was like up toward like $10,000 and I like broke down in tears because I was like overwhelmed by it. Like that there was that many people giving and showing support and that was kind of God showing himself through people. Um, the generosity and the the loving um, characteristics of God were coming out through, um, through just people from church and people, people we didn't even know. Like my sister called me and she said, and she lives in the twin cities. And um, it was like a friend of her and her husband's that they hadn't talked to in like five or six years had donated like $500 to our GoFundMe and probably just, just out of the kindness of his heart, you know, and we don't even know him. They hardly talk to him, you know? And so it was just, we were kind of overwhelmed by just the generosity of strangers even. Um, um, we had, I got boxes of hats. This is one of the hats I received received uh just with like notes from people saying they were praying like people i didn't know but maybe they knew my parents or um i think that was for me just like the generosity of people and um that was something that that you know kind of even though was in like another kind of miracle for us i guess what else how about for you i think during that time i was pretty floored just by how caring and kind people are, especially when they know about your situation. So they're kind of how Luke was saying, there's all these people, friends of friends of friends of family who are reaching out. And I even had a couple from New Mexico who found out about me and my situation through a nurse who I work with on my floor, who was a traveler nurse. And at one point she stayed with them in New Mexico and, um, they're both very strong believers. And, um, the husband went through a horrendous health situation and ended up with cancer as well. So they've, they'd been through that journey. And I think it was the weekend before all this happened, their pastor had told them, um, that he thought the Lord was going to use their story in some type of um, amazing way. And then by the next weekend, um, they had found out about it. And she reached out to me and they actually dropped everything in New Mexico and drove to Denver, drove to my Airbnb and met me at my doorstep with arms open wide. And um, she just gave me this huge hug and she said, I know, I just know. And they picked me up and they took me to breakfast and they bought me breakfast and just talked for a couple hours. And, um, they just said, 
we will do this whenever you need. We will drive the two, three hours, however long it is from New Mexico, if you need anything. And so that was, I mean, I was floored. And actually the people who I was renting the Airbnb from, I was um, staying in their basement and they found out as well. And um, they were super kind and they started having me upstairs for dinner. And um, they had a nanny from Spain and me and this nanny got to be pretty good friends. And we'd take the the little girls for walks and stuff and she'd text me and she was learning English and so it was really fun um just to kind of meet these really kind souls along the way and that was a huge light for me yeah yeah we've experienced that too and it's amazing the outpouring and how many people want to help I mean it's humbling and it also is very encouraging about our world yeah often you know things are that are focused on in media or different things give you this perception that yeah that this isn't you know mm-hmm. that there this is uh that the world is different than what I'm experiencing mm-hmm. and on on our journey which is it's uh, there's times it's just so much it's so much kindness and so much that um it's it's a bit overwhelming to yeah and and again it's it gives me such hope you know, for, to see how many people you, 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 you join a tribe of people for mm-hmm. one, when, when you become part of the cancer world yeah, and then you have, we've had so many people outside of that, so many people in the church. I can't tell you how many times I've met some little old lady that'll say, me and my group have been praying for you. And, yeah, we have that. And I'm like, too. what group? And then she'll, you know, tell you about this group of like 30 women or something. That <laughs> yeah. Pray for you all the time. You're like, what? Who are you people? Like, yeah. This is fantastic. You know, like I had no idea. And, and so things like that, you know, really are encouraging to see that, you know, the body of Christ come together. And, and mm-hmm. you know, we've, you know, when we were diagnosed you know, shortly after we lost, you know, 80% of our income. And then again, after that lost another, you know, the other 20% that was residual money that was coming in and and things that we were kind of banking on. And, and it was um, just beautiful to watch because I just, you know, God just has provided all the way through in the last two years. It's been provision. And so often through people, and, um, you know, so often through people and at the moments when you need it, um, that it's become a way of life where God has just led us to, to say, I got this, you know, and, and we both work and do things, but often the things that he calls us to do is not enough. Um, and then he'll bring things from elsewhere and, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's becomes, I, I kind of wish I'd have journaled it because it's been hundreds and hundreds of little things here and there, yeah. but it's just almost be like a, a whole other job to mm. take on, to journal all of the provision and, and the things God has provided over the last two years. Yeah. It's been, it's been amazing. So, and for you guys, you're again, what, yeah. just coming on three months. Yeah. We're, we're fresh into it. So, I mean, it's, we're only at the beginning, but it's like you said, it's, there's so many little things. It's hard to even keep track of them all. Um, so. Yeah. Just tell them verbally when I remember them or I feel prompted to. And I, I made, I, I made peace with letting the, 
the journaling go on that because it yeah. was it was just so much more and to to do. I did have a question on the numbers because you mentioned numbers, and um, for me, you know, I'm aware of the numbers, but I'm not as dialed in as my wife. So I'm curious okay. um, because you know, and the reason for me was they came with certain numbers, and I felt the same every time I would go in, and then. I would hear a number and then wait for them to tell me if that was good or bad. Oh. And then it kind of would affect me a little bit. I'd feel it like, oh, okay, we're okay. Or, oh, it's sure. It's, and I feel that and I'm like, this is this for me and on, on, on the journey that I've been on. I was like, okay, I don't feel any different when I come in mm-hmm. until I hear a number. So I kind of started to, yeah. to let the numbers, you know, but Cassidy really would follow the numbers. It was important for her. And, sure. and so, um, you know, can you, can you speak into that a little bit of like when you hear numbers, does it affect you? Do you follow it a little more? Does you know your wife um, and background maybe in nursing would maybe interest her more than? Well, for me, it's more so. I don't think I struggle mentally with it. Like if I hear I'm low hemoglobin or whatever, it's more so just a physical thing, knowing whether or not I'll need a transfusion. Yeah. So um, initially, when I got to Denver, I had never looked into ALL a day in my life. I, I knew that leukemia existed. I didn't know ALL. I didn't know that there was all sorts of different kinds. So you're thrown into the treatment and no one actually sits down with you in the hospital for like a few hours and tells you, okay, we're going to be monitoring this, this, and these numbers. And this is what your treatment looks like. And you kind of have like a general idea, but there was so many like like they would tell me like, oh, your numbers are, you know, your numbers are low. So we got to give you platelets or blood. But then I'm like, what numbers? Like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Or like, you know, we're giving you this chemo and on day 14 of your cycle, we're doing this. And day, and I'm like, what cycle? What day? What day are we now? Like, you know, so it's been like a slow education process where you learn what all these things mean. Um, so you know, when I hear my blood count numbers, it's more so just knowing whether I'll or not I'll need platelets or a transfusion. Um, but I do feel it too physically when I get kind of low, um, especially low hemoglobin, you kind of get pale, you get short of breath a little bit. Um, what's the lowest you've, your platelets have been? Well, they were the lowest this last week. Yeah, I was at six. So, um, I don't know how graphic you want me to be, but E-graphic. <laughs> yeah. You get, when you're that low, you literally don't have any clotting in your body. So blood just starts oozing like out of your gums and you can get spontaneous nosebleeds, um, which that doesn't stop. If it happens, it doesn't stop because so um, it was, it's pretty important that you get platelets back in your body. So I got a platelet transfusion <laughs> and it boosted my numbers from six to 115. Um, so that was successful. Yes. 115? Yep. <laughs> Man, I, I had one transfusion and I, I think it, I may be wrong, Cassie would know, but it sure. seemed like it was a jump of like 30. Yeah. Thousand or something. It can it vary like, pretty wildly. Not even maybe that much. I think I was down in the teens and I got up to like 36 yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. So. And my body could have rebounded a little bit on its own too and provided some platelets. Um, Cause once the chemo, the chemo kind of knocks down all your accounts and then once you start recovering from it, your body starts producing again. Um, cause they gave me the platelets on Tuesday and then on Thursday, they took the, the lab 
the number. So it was a combination probably of my own body and the bag of platelets that boosted me up. Was I the last three rounds I dropped to 11,000 mm-hmm. platelets and then 10 in the last two times and 10 is the kind of the line for me, anything under that, they will do transfusion. They sure. don't want to do that because of the transplant. So, yeah, you know, we were, we're just hovering mm-hmm. right there. And you know, the other day I was out picking weeds with the kids and I kind of bumped a rock and I was like, ah, oh, and didn't think anything of it. And then I went in, you know, like five minutes later, my dad was like, you're bleeding. Yeah. And it looked like I, you know, someone had taken a hatchet because oh. it just, you know, I hadn't, I didn't feel it and, and it, it had been bleeding for a while, but it was really just a little scrape, mm-hmm. but, um, just kind of scraped against the rock, but it, it bled like I was, you know, in a battle or something. Yeah. So, um, I, yeah, but I, other than that, I haven't, I haven't had to deal with much bleeding. So, um, but we'll see on Monday. I'll get my counts to see if I'm still above the 10, yeah. 10 range. So yeah. that's kind of, and for you, Carla, what do you do you follow the counts pretty closely? The, are I the do. good gauges for you? Yeah, I usually want to, like, especially if I'm not at the appointment, I'll say, what were your numbers? What were your numbers? Because um, as a nurse, like, that's the first thing I do in the morning. <clears throat> Excuse me, is <clears throat> I'll go on my patient's charts, and the first thing I do is, you know, check their numbers. So um, I'm pretty apt to want to do that with Luke, and especially I, I want to know what his neutrophil count is. Um, yeah, I think that's the most... I guess I didn't mention that, but that's the one that I guess causes the most stress is neutrophils. Cause then you have to be so careful about getting an infection. Yeah. Uh, so, so when you're neutropenic, it basically means, you know, if, if your white blood cells were in the army um, to fight off infection, when you're neutropenic, it means you basically have no army at all. And so he's very prone to viral infections, fungal infections, bacterial infections, and so we're trying to not let that rule our life and rule our life from fear. Um, we're trying to take that precaution, but also, you know, know that we're living under the provision and the protection of the Lord too. And so it's kind of that finding that even line of we're not going to let this rule our life. Like even if he's neutropenic, we're probably still going to go shop, like g- to groceries if we're just not going to do it in the middle of the day and he's going to be wearing an N95 is kind of yeah how we're handling it and um can't let the dog lick my face you know (laughs) after she's been chewing on dead things out in the yard (laughs) stuff like that (laughs) yeah we've dealt with that and that number is one that Cassidy you know follows when I'm neutropenic and often you know there was a time there where I would speak at you know Montana Gallery and, and do stories and you know, I'd be neutropenic and right in the middle of, you know, or right in the middle of chemo. And, and we just make the choices on what we felt was, you know, we'd always take all the precautions, what we yeah. put in our body, on our body. And we did all of the, all of the things to stay healthy. And then I would just make choices sometimes where there's things I would make choices on because it was important enough. And I felt, you know, so, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're always cautious and, but we're never afraid. We're not yeah. reckless. We're, you know, we just go and, and, and for me, it was important to, to not have, um, I learned quickly that fear was a very dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. And the most dangerous thing for me when I was at the infusion center. And so that's part of the reason with the numbers for me, I was like, eh, 
um, nice that Cassidy could follow them. And I would just keep my mind set on, you know, on things that I could control. Yeah. And it was nice that she would you know, remind me, well, you know, you're at, your number is this, maybe you should yeah. do this. Yeah. But I would go, okay. But I, I didn't want to be processing the numbers, doing the math myself because, um, I just didn't like for me where it, where it took me if, if I was overthinking things that I really didn't have control over. So, um, but yeah, we've, we've definitely dealt with the numbers and how you interact and, yeah. and, you know, I think that's, you know, very important to take all the precautions, do all the things that you can control. Mm-hmm. And then after that, for us, we give it to God because we're believers mm-hmm. for those that aren't, I would, you know, I would say once you've done everything you can, you know, and you've made your choices, then try to live in that moment and just, you know, have joy because I think there's a healing aspect yeah. to having peace and joy and being able to enjoy the things around yeah. you. And, and so to me, it's part of, it's not just, um, I seek those, some of those things out mm-hmm. because, um, it's fulfilling and I feel like it's, it, it drives my health too in a positive direction. Yeah. So sometimes I'll, I'll make those choices and, and then just know that my days are numbered according to God's will and I'll do yeah. everything I can. And then, to you know and then after that i'll i'll leave it to leave it to him mm-hmm. so i think that's the point i'm at where it's just kind of like you know like you said it's like not in my control so it's why it's- why why even let anything but joy be the kind of thing that you you take on you know just have joy through it all because you know you don't have a choice anyways and why would you bring any other you know why would you take that as an opportunity to stress out or just like be constantly milling it over or, you know, mulling it over in your brain, uh, the, the numbers and the statistics and the, you know, that's why I didn't go, I don't Google anything. It's just like, yeah. what's the point, you know? So good for you. It's really something to have cancer and be neutropenic in a viral pandemic. Um, I don't know if we ever thought we'd find ourselves here, but, um, yeah, not to live in that joy and that trust you, we would be crippled. I think that crippling fear, um, I think would just prevent us from really living this out. And so we're, we're thankful for just like the trust in the Lord during all of this. Yeah. Yep. We're taking precautions, but like you said, it's just about joy. I was told when I left the hospital, actually, you know, you're told everything you're not supposed to do. And so when my counts are good, I do, since I have always enjoyed mowing the lawn. Okay. I have mowed the lawn a few times, you know, I have a riding lawn more in a big yard. So it's, I wear a mask and it's just a way for me to get out there and do something that I actually enjoy. I know I'm not supposed to be doing it, but. So why are you not supposed to mow the lawn? Well, when you're neutropenic, you stir up all the po- the potential uh, spores, spores and fungus. And, fungus yeah. and so... I've always mowed the lawn. I didn't know that. Yeah. So <laughs> technically, I'm not supposed to, but like when my counts are within normal range of like a normal person, I just sometimes I'll sneak out and when she's at yes. work or She'll something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... Good. And no problems so far is what I was gonna say. So, yeah. what a what a 
incredible timing to get a cancer diagnosis. As you said, 2020 is, is the most dynamic year for, for that adversity that comes with all the things we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. 2020 is probably not exactly the way you, uh, thought it would be in January. Yeah. A lot yeah. of changes. Not, not at all. It's... I, I'd like to ask you this, Carly, is being that you, you know, you deal with patients and with trauma mm-hmm. and, and those type of things. Were you able to draw on some of your experience there in this, or does it separate when it's somebody that you, you know, that you love? Um, I guess how would, uh, there's moments there mm-hmm. that you mentioned that were really, really, uh, I would say probably dark, mm-hmm. you know, um, how much of your training and, and things have mm-hmm. you been able to utilize and how much of it is, is just not a part of the equation when you're dealing with someone that you love? Well, what I would say in the beginning, I mean, I'm extremely thankful that I am a nurse, um, because I think things might, could have gotten too far. He might've progressed too far to, um, you know, be, be treated with the chemo just because we were being turned down so much. And I think my background of being a nurse is what really helped us through that because um, I work with doctors on on the daily and I kind of know what goes you know, on behind the scenes. And so I, you know, it was hard. I had to push and <laughs> be one of those annoying patient wives. But um, eventually... It's what got him diagnosed. And so I'm very thankful yes. for those skills and yeah. just kind of that back knowledge of what I had of like, this is what he needs and we're not getting it. And, um, but once he was diagnosed and we were thrown into this cancer world, everything was and brand new for me. And so I remember, especially that first night he was in Denver, he was um, too ill to be on the phone um, and he really, he was very confused. And so I was trying to go back and forth between the nursing um, station up there just to see how he's doing. And I was so nervous. I, I was, you know, so wrecked by how sick he was, but I was so nervous because I didn't want to seem <laughs> pushy. And also I had no idea what I was talking about. So that was a brand new perspective for me of like how scared these patients are and how scared the family members are. And so all of that has been great perspective, but as far as being a nurse and a wife, it's actually, it's a hard balance. Um, I know sometimes I'll go too far down the nursing route and Luke will be like, Carly, you're not my nurse. You're my wife. I'm like, okay. (laughs) And so um, I think it takes a lot of adjustments of, okay, I am a nurse, but I'm also Luke's wife. So where's that happy medium where I can be the best support to him? So I think that's all like a progress of. Well, when I go, like when I go inpatient into the hospital for chemo, I'm there for five or six days, just constantly being, you know, you take vitals every four hours and you're not Mm -hmm. sleeping very well and you're getting pumped full of drugs and you're, and so when you get home, after a stay in the hospital, you just want to be like, you don't want any more of that. You don't want, you know, your mom or your wife or your stepmom or your dad, or, you know, anybody just going like, 
what do you need? What do you, uh, are you, you know, what are your counts? What are your, you know, bombarding you with medical questions or other, you just kind of want to relax and, you know, you want to take your mind off of it for a second. And so, like she said, it's kind of a balance of like, she wants to know that I'm okay when I'm at home. Um, and, but it's, you know, you also want your home to be a place where it's like, it's not the hospital anymore. Yeah. You just want to relax and be able to pet your dog yeah. and not have people shoving hand sanitizer and masks on your, in your face, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's, so there's kind of a balance there, you know, just, you have to communicate it. So, yeah, you mentioned, you know, before you, you, you touched on, you know, the possibility of dying yeah, in, in your faith. Can we unpack that a little bit? Talk about, maybe, sure. um, you know, what the process has been from diagnosis to now as you deal with, you know, those possibilities, you know, how you uh, maybe anchor in your faith and. Well, I think, uh. I have, I've had kind of an extensive medical history back in high school. I had, um, we didn't know at the time, but I had Lyme disease and it caused a bunch of complications that ended up, I ended up having part of my colon removed and just uh, life was never normal for like, there was a period of five or six years and I never knew if I was going to get better. And so a lot of those questions I had already gone through in my head previous to this. And so um, and my faith had kind of grown prior to the cancer and I had already explored some of the questions of life and death. And so I think that kind of pre prepared me going into the cancer diagnosis where I was, my mind has been a lot, a lot more at peace, um, than maybe if I had never experienced any medical trauma or anything, uh, this would probably be a lot more stressful and maybe a little less joy and stuff. And I'd probably be exploring those questions now, but um, I think I had gotten to a place in my faith previous to the cancer diagnosis where I'd accepted, um, you know, I had thought about the possibility of dying already and, and, and I was a little bit more comfortable with it. So um, I know it's kind of, I know no one who loves you wants to hear it, but you, if I, if, none of this ended up working out and the chemo didn't work, then I, I'm not that scared <laughs> of death. Um, if anything, it's just the physical pain that I'm, you know, you don't want to face, but spiritually and mentally, um, I feel pretty stable, pretty happy. And, um, ultimately I know my purpose and I know that God's got a plan that's greater than my life here on earth. So, um, I'm comfortable with the thought of dying. Um, I think the biggest thing for me though, is, is what would that do to Carly? What would that do to my siblings or my parents? So, um, I think that's the thing that I think about the most, but then I have to just go back to, well, God would have a plan for, for that. And, um, so I guess I hope that answers your question. Uh, yes. But uh, like I said, uh, it was kind of toward the end of my Lyme disease before I finally got questions answered back when I had my previous health problems. There was a period where I fell into a pretty deep depression and I had thoughts of of just wanting to end it because 
it was just like, it become so much to handle physically and mentally. Um, but right around that time I had, I had a lot of good people in my life who were praying for me and kind of guiding me, I guess. God was really using those people to speak into my life and, uh, give me encouragement. And, um, it was kind of like having that breakthrough with my faith that really like brought me out of that and brought me to a place of like, okay, like I don't, life isn't perfect. Um, but God's got, he's going to restore it all at some point, you know? Um, so that kind of gave me the hope, you know, and the, I guess it made the the pain, the physical pain, pain seem a little bit more ins, in, insignificant. So, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Is it something you think about, talk about with your husband, or do you, do you kind of shelve that for the moment with all of the things you're dealing with? Well, I think one thing that I've um, recently kind of had one of those light bulb moments or where everything becomes, you know, very clear. Um, not necessarily about the, the possibility of death, but the possibility of more on the infertility side. Um, and so what's really hit me is, um, my purpose isn't to be married and have kids. My purpose is to serve the Lord and be in God's will. And so, of course, I think that being married and having kids is part of his will. Um, and that's part of serving him. But those two things alone are not my purpose. And so, um, if the Lord has like these other, um, these other paths laid out ahead, um, then I completely 100% trust that. Um, to say that it doesn't hurt and that they're not, there might not be um, completely happy times or, um, I mean, 100%, like this world sucks. This world is, it's hard because we're not, we're not in heaven yet. We're not on restored earth yet. So obviously like very, bad things happen to very good people and it's hard and it sucks and there's suffering here. But we believe in a God who gives us mercy and grace and freedom through all of this mess. Um, and ultimately who we'll get to be with, um, in a perfect state in heaven with him. And so if, if we didn't have that perspective, then I don't know what we would do. Yeah. <laughs> like literally would be down in the dirt right now, just not even able to function. And so, um, I think there's a lot of that question, um, that goes around. You know, why, why do terrible things happen to good people? <laughs> I don't know why we're struggling for an answer for that because this world sucks. <laughs> yeah. Like it's hard. <laughs> and so, um, I'm finally having to come to reality that my purpose here is to live in God's will. So I don't, um, even though parts of this world are hard, he is so good. And so I know like it's, it's going to be okay. Well, from the outside looking in for someone, you know, like me, that's on the journey when, when I, when I 
you know, first saw your story and then I called you, like, I was excited talking to you, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> because of the things you were saying about your walk with God. And then now, you know, hearing you speak to these things, it's, an, it's inspiring to me. And it, it gives me courage and hope uh, because, you know, we know, and this is not always, you know, the case we share, you know, the same faith and the same God. And when I see the two of you and I see the strength of your relationship and the strength of your faith and see you walking through this. Um, it's so encouraging to me. And I see that you guys are on an assignment that God has specifically given to you to walk out yeah. and, and the um, impact you're, you're having right now on people. Um, you know, you won't even, you won't even know. Cause I can tell you, I feel it when I talk to you and thanks. And so it's, um, we call it dancing the tightrope. Because, you know, we want to have joy on this, but we're on a tightrope with, you know, no net. But when it comes down to it, as believers, what I found is really the illusion is, you know, broken that you have any control. And so there's actually kind of, um, as we talk about things of death, there's actually like once you've you've had that safety net, you know, removed, even though it was never really there. Yeah. Cause we weren't, nobody's promised, you know, another day. We don't know what our, our the time here is. Yeah. But, um, you know, I've found that once you face death and you start to look at those, um, you know, there's a freedom that comes out of mm -hmm. that release of going, okay, this is, there's nothing I can do other than I'll do these things that I can that are in my control, but ultimately the things that are the big things are out of my control. Yeah. And I give that to you and then I serve you. So, you know, what would you have me do today? And it becomes a freedom in that. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's again, for us, it's different because, you know, we're carrying a different burden and, you know, so that's probably the biggest thing I face is thinking about my wife and my kids. If, you know, if my time is short, mm -hmm. but you know, Luke, like you, you said is, just realize that, you know, God doesn't need me. He'll use me, yeah. you know, if I'm obedient, but he doesn't, definitely doesn't need me. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and I say that just knowing who God is and that, you know, that um, he can, he can take care of my family. We'll take care of my family and he'll guide and direct them. And, and Cassidy's faith is so strong that, they, you know, obviously the times would be, hard and yeah. uh, can't imagine going through through that but i have absolute total faith that god is sovereign god is in control he's guiding and directing our family and you know my hope is that he allows me to be a part of it yeah for a long long time but yeah if he doesn't you know we serve him and love him just the same either way yeah and so i think when you grapple with the death aspect there's also that other side of okay what if death okay what if life? Yeah. So what do you think about when, when uh, you think about treatment and then the other side of it, you know, um, when you come through it and when you, when you have the opportunity to go and do the things you want to do, like your doctor. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so um, maybe take us a little bit into that and then we'll. Well, I think even though I said that I was getting to a good place, you know, spiritually, you know, in my walk with God, I think you're still, when you're thrown cancer, it's still like a shocking thing. And so it's changed our perspective and we've thought about 
I mean, I haven't really had a ton of time to think about life after treatment. Um, you kind of start to think, okay, what are we going to do? But, um, I've certainly thought about like, okay, will this change the way I father my children? And, and it's certainly, we've thought about, yeah, this, this will probably change the way we go about serving God. Um, we've thought about, you know, with all the financial support we've gotten, we've thought of like, man, this is going to, this is going to change the way we give. Um, this is going to change the way we pursue, um, uh, relationships with people. We're definitely going to have, obviously going through this experience of cancer. I, I don't, I think it'd be a waste if I didn't then kind of like you said, once you get cancer, you're part of that tribe. And so I will certainly, you know, I certainly hope we're the people who are going to be driving down to Denver and helping out someone else and their wife, you know, when they're going through this. Um, I think that's what I'm looking forward to most. Um, not the hunting or fishing or camping. I mean, those are all good things, but, um, I, I really want to, you know, just seeing how God has poured out for us. I want to, I want to do that. So, um, I think that's the only thing that's really changed in me is like, um, this, this kind of, you know, I, I think God gives you challenges that, that, um, kind of strengthens you, strengthen, strengthens you in certain areas. And, um, I think this is an opportunity to strengthen us and all of a sudden we're going to be cancer experts. We're going to have lived through it. And so this can be a, somewhat of a calling, I guess you could call it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, all right, well, we've been through cancer. Like we know what it's like. So now when other people go through it, it's like, yes. we know exactly what that's going to be. And we can, we can reach out now and we can, that can be our purpose. Um, you know, I, I think you can look at cancer as something that's a burden and, so, but I refuse to see myself as some sort of victim to it. Cause really I'm not, um, I'm looking at this as an opportunity to, you know, get a little stronger and, <laughs> You know, I'll have a scar to, you know, some scars to, to show for it. But, uh, so I guess that's, that's kind of so far what I've, what I've thought about. I'm glad you said that because I'm very cautious with the way I say it. And I always, yeah. let people know before I, I, I don't say this as it is for other people, but for me, mm-hmm. cancer has been a gift. It's been mm-hmm. an incredible gift. And I know that doesn't make sense to people, but the opportunities and the people and the blessings that have happened on this journey have been unbelievable. And so I'm not saying I want this for other people, but I have seen the blessings and the gift that cancer can be. I mean, there's struggles, no doubt. There's a lot of other things too. But uh, once you've, you can't be in the club until you're in the trenches. And once you are, there are so many ways to that you can take that knowledge and help other people. Yeah. And I have some ideas and some things um, about that that I'd like to talk to you about. Sure. We're done with this. Yeah. It'll be a secret until they <laughs> okay. but, Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have some ideas and I was thinking about you guys as, as maybe partnering with it. So yeah, so we'll, um, it's exciting. <laughs> so, um, well, what a pleasure to have you both. The first time that we've had, had a couple on, 
uh, oh, together. Wow. Yes, cool. <laughs> yes. So that um, that it's been um, it's been interesting to yeah to see. You know, I have Cassie and I haven't had the opportunity to really. Most of the time, we're the people. You guys are a little closer in 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 life than even though we have kids and in, in that. But you know, to see the the marriage dynamic, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's um it's interesting to to be able to mm. to hear some of the same struggles and some of the same triumphs. As yeah, walk through this. So, um, any any last thoughts or any things that maybe you wanted to say that you didn't get a chance to say before we uh, wrap this up? I'm glad we had Carly on too because <laughs> there's a lot missing from my memory bank, and I think she's she's a better storyteller than I am. She's been the one that's been giving a lot of the Facebook updates and all that. And so um, I think our story is best told together for sure. I agree. And I'm glad I, I wasn't sure if you would, if you were going to want to step in and, and be a part of it. So thank you for yeah, doing absolutely. that. Absolutely. Um, it's, um, it's beautiful to see. So with that, I think we will wrap up. And let you all right. Two <laughs> move on with the rest of your day thanks thank you so much for having us thank you very much all right that's a wrap cool